Ladies and gentlemen, we are in a series called Origin Story. Shirley mentioned that. Jacob Shirley mentioned it just a moment ago when he was doing announcements. And last week was really our, our first jumping into the series, but we didn't actually get into Genesis yet. We were talking hermeneutics, right? Does anyone remember the, the way I, I gave you to remember the word hermeneutics? Can anyone... Uh, Excellent. It was a tick that paints, and he does science. That's right, okay? So, Herm is his name. He's the new tick on the block, okay? And he does art. He does science because hermeneutics is the art and science of biblical interpretation. There you guys go. Okay, so that's what we talked about last week. Uh, hopefully, you guys caught all of that last week. Uh, but this week, we're actually going to jump into Genesis 1. Um, so, I want you to all turn to the book of Job, all right? the book of Job, and we are going to jump in. I'm actually serious. Uh, we will get into Genesis. But go to Job uh, chapter 38. Job 38. As I thought about this, I was asking myself, well, frankly, Genesis is a frightening text to teach because there's so much there, and there's so much that I could potentially miss. And so I was asking myself, what should I be taking away from Genesis 1, which is what we're going to be looking at tonight? And it occurred to me that there was a certain man named Job and a certain lesson he learned, and the Lord, when he was teaching him this lesson, pointed primarily to creation. And so we're going to look at Job briefly to find out how we should approach Genesis in a sense, okay? And it's going to give us our outline for the day. So Job 38. Now, a little bit of background. Job, his life is in ruins because the Lord allowed the adversary to basically take apart his life. So he is covered in boils. He's lost all of his kids. He's lost all of his wealth. Hopefully, you guys are relatively familiar with the story. And he is, this, the entire book of Job is this conversation he has um, both with the Lord and with his friends about what is happening to him and why. And he is asking this question, why? And maintaining the fact that he is actually a holy man and that he, doesn't, he didn't do something to warrant what happened to him. And so this is the Lord's answer at the end of a lot. So that's a, a very brief summary. But the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Just pause for a second. Like, what? What? There's a whirlwind? And, and the Lord is speaking to Job out of it, okay? So this would be, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm picturing a tornado. I think that's fair to say, right? Okay, so the Lord appears to Job in a, in a tornado, essentially, and then this is what Job hears. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Verse 4 where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no further, 
and here shall your proud waves be stayed. We're going to pause for a moment there. That is a humbling statement from the Lord as to our questions and the way that we approach him. Job, now we're going to jump way ahead. If you're following along, um, jump down. Now, all of this that I'm scrolling through is the Lord going on. He continues on, and he eventually describes something close to a dragon. Have you guys ever read that passage? So, evidence for dragons. Uh, But his point is, I made the most fearsome creature out there, and you could do nothing if you tried to kill it. He's just pointing to creation. So that's verse, that's 41. And then we see Job's answer. And I just want to highlight a couple things here. Chapter 42, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I want to highlight two things. One, Job knew that God could do all things. This survey of creation reminded Job that God can do anything. And secondly, it reminded Job that no purpose of God can be thwarted. God cannot be stopped. He goes on, if you, if you read, uh, he quotes a couple of, of the, a little bit of the conversation he had with the Lord. And then verse 5 and 6, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Verse 6, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is just utter humility before the Lord. Just <laughs> That's the response. So my oratorial, oratorical skills, there you go. That's, that tells you how oratorical I am, right? I am not going to bring you to your knees tonight. Okay, I can't do it. But my hope is that we have a heart posture of humility before the Lord as we read his word concerning creation. And that we actually allow that to bring us to our knees. So, we're going to look at the power and the purpose of God in creation. So now, turn with me to Genesis 1. Go there. And I'm so excited to be there with y'all. Genesis 1. Um, So here we are. Unparalleled power and premeditated purpose. So I added some adjectives there just to show you which the direction we're going here. So if we read in verse 1. That's not what I wanted to do at all. All right, I've been getting pretty slick with this computer, but, but okay, here we are. Here we are. Here we have our text. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. Now, I want to stop right here. This is showing up, by the way. What if I was doing all this on the computer, and there was just nothing on the screen this whole time? That would be fun. All right. In the beginning. Right here, if you take the word of God to be inerrant, you are peeling away, you are parting ways with our culture. You are parting ways with the common view of origins. Because 
We are saying there once was a beginning. Just right there. There was a beginning that we know about. Right? Now, secular culture works on this paradigm, okay? And evolution is a good example of it. Evolution goes like this. This is society, okay? We started somewhere down here, and now we're somewhere along the line here. And generally speaking, history is marked by progress, okay? So under this paradigm, everything is, generally speaking, getting better and better. And you might point to, like, medical, the medical field and say, well, I would rather have a doctor, you know, attend to some injury of mine today than 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 500 years ago, right? Like, those doctors, like, I don't know, 1,000 years ago, like, I would not let them near me, right? Have you always heard about, like, the, the bloodletting and stuff like that? Like, whoa, okay, nope, please don't come near me. So we, they, we would look at something like that and say, okay, yeah, there's some level of progress going on. Um, the, the term, the Enlightenment, you guys familiar with the Enlightenment? Uh, it kind of says it all. It says history is, is moving in this direction, and there was a point when the lights turned on, and we started knowing the real way that things are. And, and ever since then, we've been kind of just turning more and more lights on, and we understand better and better. And things are just getting kind of better and better. But the problem with this view, there is a problem, and that is that it tends, wherever we are in the present, it tends to look at the past and say, that was worse than the present. That was bad, actually. Uh, and anything that was in the past is kind of suspect because there's probably a whole bunch going on that influenced it to be negative. And so now, in today's society, we're kind of generally just throwing out, like, everything, okay? From traditions to beliefs to anything traditional, it's kind of like, well, let's see what we can do to utterly uproot and throw that away, okay? And we, we see this kind of all over society. However, however, the story of the Bible is different, okay? The story of the Bible goes something like this, okay? First, there was creation, and then there was a fall, right? And then human history continues after Genesis 3. And there's a little bit of this, right? But it's generally tending this way, okay? So we can look at the history of Israel and say, okay, Israel had some good kings, but generally speaking, they were mostly bad, and they got worse and worse, right? And, and we could look at society and say, well, like, if we compare ourselves, for example, to Roman society, there's actually a lot of interesting similarities, um, especially if you're thinking about sexuality and the way that our culture views sexuality. So it's not like today is the worst it's ever been, ever. But certain things are getting worse, and certainly the hardness of the human heart is not getting better, okay? So 2 Timothy 3, uh, which we actually were talking about just a couple weeks ago, it mentions that men, evil men, will continue deceiving and being deceived and generally getting worse and worse in that deception, okay? So I think we can understand human history not as generally doing this, but rather generally doing this. Okay, why am I talking about all of this? What's going on? We, as believers, need to be willing to point to Genesis and say, there once was a time 
that things were actually according to God's purpose and will. And if we look at that, we actually see a paradigm that can be instructive for understanding our own purpose and our own place in creation. So as we approach Genesis 1, right off the bat, it's just worth noting that we need to point back to Genesis 1. And, and, but the world generally is going to come at it from this perspective. And they're going to say, you're crazy. That's outdated. It's archaic. It's barbaric. You're an idiot. So be ready for that. But don't be afraid to actually do this. Because this is going to reveal our presuppositions. You guys remember presuppositions? That was two weeks ago. Talking about presuppositions. Basically, assumptions people are making about the world. This is the assumption that's going to undermine a lot of what I'm going to say, believing that the, the word of God is inerrant. All right. So, in the beginning, we have a, a starting point. The Bible actually gives us a starting point. Now, this is not obviously the beginning of God, so it is relative, but it's relative to us. So, in the beginning, as far as we're concerned, right in this moment, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right. We're going to go back to the idea of unparalleled power, because I want to talk about this first verse. There's two ways to approach this first verse. All right. Number one is to take it as a topic, a subject line, a summary statement, summarizing what comes next. So essentially, okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can almost take it like a title, and then everything else flows from it, and then you get the rest of Genesis 1, okay? Um, how many of y'all would say that's how you've read it? Just curious. Maybe half of you are like, I'm not, I don't know. Okay, good. All right, there's several of you guys. Honestly, that's how I was reading it, okay? So first option is this is a, a summary of what follows, okay? Now, what I'm going to argue for is that this is actually the first act Okay, that is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and something happens in this verse, and the rest of what follows is actually built on it. Okay, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is actually, boom, something happened right there. Okay, now evolution would say, oh, or I'm an evolutionist, yeah, but the Big Bang, right? Uh, so in, in some sense, yeah, there was a, something happened right there, and something was created. Now, the reason I would say that that's probably the way to go is, one, Throughout Scripture, there's this idea that God created X, oh, oh, ah, there it is, X nihilo, X nihilo. Can anyone tell me what that means? Out of nothing. Wow. Oh, okay. Oh, it was both of you guys. Congratulations. Congratulations, guys. So X meaning out of, and nihilo meaning nada. Nada. Okay, so God did this, okay? He just said, and there was something there. You guys following me on this? Okay. I was, I was racking my brain like, how do I... <laughs> There's no parallel for showing you guys what that's like. The closest we have, here's my two options. One is like magic tricks where it's all sleight of hand. Okay. Rabbit comes out of the hat, right? And we all understand like, ooh, that looks cool, but you didn't just create a rabbit, obviously. The other option was, okay, digitally speaking, you guys create stuff all the time, right? Uh... I don't know what, what random games, but there's a lot of games now where you're like building stuff, right? And you're building, but even in the games, they're like, ah, you got to mine for it first. And it's like, ah, oh, okay, it's going to take forever. So even in the games, you don't have a good parallel. So how do I explain to you what power is involved 
in creating something where there was nothing. You guys following me on this? This is a hard, this is a hard concept. Okay, so this is the best I got. I was talking to, uh, well, actually, I'm not, I'm not really going to try, frankly, but we're just going to talk about power, generally speaking. Is Jackson in the house? I was going to give him a shout out. All right, that's okay. But um, if you guys know my, my buddy Jackson, he's a freshman here at NC State. He's doing uh, meteorology. Um, and he was telling me about the power of a hurricane. All right, now, hurricanes, apparently, you can measure their power by the droplets of water that go from in the atmosphere to being condensed, okay? And if you measure how much water fell in a hurricane, you can actually measure how much power was released because when a, apparently when rain condenses, that releases power, okay? It, re it releases energy, I should say. Okay, so I have a little, uh, okay, here, here's a hurricane. Okay, sweet. So he told me something about this related to atomic bombs, and I was like, that's pretty cool. So who's math mathematicians in the room? You guys are all hiding, but you guys are supposed to check my work, okay? So here's the work. Here's the work I did. I went online, and I said, once upon a time, I was in a math class, believe it or not, all right? And I have done math before, all right? I've never done meteorology. I almost called it cosmetology, totally different, all right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I double-checked myself before tonight because I was like, okay. Meteorology, the study of weather. All right, the power of a hurricane is calculated based on the latent heat of condensation, okay? That's that water. Um, releasing heat. Um, apparently for a hurricane, it's 5.2 times 10 to the 19 joules in a day. Okay? That's how you measure it. Okay? Basically, 10 to the 19 is what? Science, science math guys? How many? That's a lot. <laughs> I don't know what that is. 19 zeros behind the number. That's what, we're that's what we're talking about. So it's beyond billion. It's beyond, what's after billion? Right. <laughs> trillion. What's after trillion? Quintillion, quadrillion, quintillion, septillion. Okay. Good deal. All right, so 19. All right, there's a lot. Okay, that's a lot of power. So for reference, the biggest nuclear bomb the U.S. has ever dropped released 8.4 times 10 to the 16, okay, joules. So if you do the calculation, that is the hurricane in one day releases about 619 atomic bombs worth of energy. So Jackson told me this because he, as the biblical scholar that he is, said to himself and told me, wow, even the most powerful thing that mankind can do just doesn't even compare to like a weather system on the surface of the earth, right? Pretty cool. All right, you guys already see my math. Okay, so I, was, I, so I thought to myself, okay, that's pretty crazy, but of course we're talking about all of creation. So what about the sun? What does it release? Uh, in one second, it releases 3.86 times 10 to the 26 uh, joules. You guys following me? That's a lot of zeros as well. How many hurricanes is that? All right, that's 7.4 million hurricanes in a second. That's, that's the, uh, the calculation there, okay? So a lot of hurricanes in one second is emitted from the sun. And I have some, um, I have some pictures. Yay. Sun, okay. Way more powerful. All right, you guys with me? We're talking major power. If we could tap into that power, we obviously wouldn't be worried about where our sources of energy were coming from. All right, so it's just a, all you scientists in the room, figure that out for us, all right? Uh, okay, but then I was like, okay, what about the biggest star that we know of, all right? Uh, this one's called U.Y. Scooty. 
I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, okay? But this one, all right, so if you enlarge, what it's trying to say is, okay, if you enlarge each of these things 10 times twice, then you can see the sun right there, okay? So this thing is just super big, okay? It's, it's out there in space, and it's massive. Okay, that's what you need to know about it. And I didn't do any calculations because I couldn't find any stats on um, how much energy it releases, but it releases, I think, a lot of energy, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there you have it. Uh, here's my point. God, when he was talking to Job, said, take a look at Leviathan. That's the dragon-like sea creature that seems to be described there. Take a look at him. You can't even fight him. Where were you when I made him? And, and we can ask the same question of this, right? If we can look at the most powerful thing in the world, which we have no control over, by the way, where were you when God created this? So it's just an expression of his absolute power. And I believe it happened just with a word. And we see that in Genesis 1 when he creates the stars. So, pretty crazy. But God's power can be described in one sense like that. But there's another way that we can describe God's power. And that is, well, with this kind of immeasurable power, he has also the power of authority. So I'm calling it the power of strength is, is what I just described. And then there's the power of authority. So God can say something and it happens. Are you familiar with the story of Jesus and the centurion? Okay. Now, Jesus said, this man has more faith than anybody I've seen in Israel so far. I heard it once. This man has more faith than your grandma, right? And so there's some Jewish person standing nearby who's like, my grandma was a saint, okay? And you're calling this centurion, you're saying that he has more faith? Well, what did he say? He said, I understand that you, Jesus, are God because you say something and it happens. That's authority, Okay? That's the kind of power that we see here also in Genesis 1. It's not just the strength, God's incredible muscles. It's the fact that he speaks and it happens, no matter what it is. Interesting thought question for you. If you had power like that, what would you do? The first thing that came to mind was I was like, Sports car! You know, like, oh, cool. Like, that was the best I got. You know, like, I don't know what came to mind. For, what was the first thing, you know, before you got holy about it and were like, you know, I, oh, uh, world hunger. <laughs> what would you do? A what? A cat cafe. You can. You can do anything you want. So is this for cats to come and, like, get drinks? <laughs> oh, okay, that makes more sense. I was thinking, like, oh, wow, you've got to, like, sure, you know. <laughs> okay, that makes more sense to go and play with cats. Did you know that the pastor, Stephen Davey, like, hates cats? You should go and tell him about it. Uh, and be like, I want to make a cat cafe. You could come. He'd be like, he'd probably just throw up on the spot or something. Um, no, but I have nothing against cats, so fantastic. All right, what else? I'm actually curious. That was fantastic. Who else has, what was the first thing that came to mind? No, no, no. Not, not that kind of answer. <laughs> you're overthinking this. No, you're right. Actually, that's a good segue. Obviously, we wouldn't know what to do with it. 
And so maybe the better question is, well, what did God do with it? God, with unparalleled power, the ability to do anything he wanted, to make anything he wanted, made what we see, made us. This kind of leads into the second point, which is, okay, there's unparalleled power, but then God also has this premeditated purpose. And without, with, this, with the incredible power that he has, it means that everything that we have now, that we see, that we can touch, that we can experience, that we know is to be true, has significance. Because he chose to do that and not the infinite number of other things he could have done. But there's more to this premeditated purpose. We're actually going to get to verse 2. You guys ready? Let's look, at, let's look at verse 2 together. So we have first this unparalleled power, but we also have premeditated purpose. Now, verse 2, for me, I open up Genesis 1. I start, and I hit verse 2, and already I'm a little bit confused. Does anyone else have that experience with Genesis chapter 1, verse 2? Because there's a couple things that need to be explained here, okay? So here we are. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. By the way, right here, oh yeah, so I kind of made a face, I'm like, okay, this took me some time just to like hope that I had a good explanation for y'all, right? Um, but I think that it is, it does, it does become clear as, as we look at it. Thankfully, the, the word of God does open itself up. So, the earth. Okay, this implies that the earth exists. Would you agree with me? To some degree, in some fashion or form, it exists at this point. Which is why I think we should take verse 1 as the initial creation of matter. Okay? So, something existed. Right when he said, well, he doesn't say that he says anything, but he created the heavens and the earth. And then this Grammatically speaking, this is helpful. Grammatically speaking, there is a clue in the Hebrew. It's very obvious. It's called a disjunctive clause, if you're, if you're a nerd. There's a couple in the room. That, <laughs> I didn't read that. Oh, yeah, there's actually a lot of you in the room, let's be honest. Uh, a disjunctive clause, but it means that this is actually a parenthesis. So I'm going to delete the, the, the parentheses around verse 1, because verse 2 is actually like a parenthetical statement. It's saying, let me, let me take you aside for a second. So a good example of this is actually in Jonah. In Jonah 3, Jonah was just spit out by the whale. And God says, all right, Jonah, same assignment. Go to Nineveh and proclaim against that city. Okay? Jonah says, actually, I don't know if Jonah says anything. I think he just, he just goes. And then right there, there's this disjunctive clause, and it says, now Nineveh was a very big city, three days across. Okay, something like that. So that word now could be inserted right here. It's the same kind of thing, Okay? Now, let me tell you something about the state of the world at this point. That's what's happening. In the meeting, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, at this point, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So this is essentially, I believe, setting the stage for what's going to happen next. And it's just describing this initial moment of, okay, here's stuff, almost like Play-Doh, raw materials, and it's going to describe what's happening with these raw materials. 
So, without form and void. I always saw this phrase, now I don't know if you have an ESV like me, I thought, I thought what does it mean to be without void? It's just a dumb reading of that. That's not what it means. All right, so it, it's, it's two things. It's one, without form, and two, it's void. If you're a Hebrew guy or girl, it's tohu vavohu. You guys want to say that? Tohu vavohu. It's just, it sounds kind of cool, right? Uh, and, and basically, it's used in Scripture to describe a wasteland, okay? Wasteland. And in fact, it's used of cities that once were built, but now have been destroyed so that there's nothing left, nothing inhabiting them. And moreover, it seems like there's not even structures left, okay? It's been desolated. So the idea here is, is really two things. That's where we get without form. There's no form to this raw material. And it's void. There's nothing living in it. It's totally dead. All right? I have a picture. Aren't you excited? For those of you who are like, uh, grammar, grammar, picture. Okay, that's for you guys. That's how I would be anyway. All right. I, okay. I Googled wasteland, and it came up with this. Come on. I, now, actually, I saw this, and I said, I've been there. I think I have. Uh, it looks very much like Nebraska, although it could be a couple of different places. So this is not what you should picture, okay? So this is a little closer, all right? Wait, like, like desert, wasteland, nothing there, empty, okay? So I want you to keep this in mind, all right? And I'm just going to walk through those, those other statements, okay? It says, darkness was over the face of the deep. What's the deep? The ocean. Who said that? Micah. You're, you're on it tonight. You're on it. Okay. Watch out for this guy. All right. Yes. The deep, I think we, the best understanding of the deep is simply to say the, the depths, the really unknown depths of the ocean. So when it says the deep here, it is referring to the fact that it's just fathomless and, and unknown, but primarily it's just, it's the ocean. Okay. So when we look at that phrase, darkness is over the face of the deep, it's saying that rather than seeing this, we should be looking at and thinking of and picturing a world more like this. All right? Water. A watery, empty wasteland. Is with me? So apparently God created a watery wasteland, essentially. There is no form to it. I don't know if it would even look this for me, <laughs> if you give me that. <laughs> um, and actually, it says that it is also void, well, it was void of life, formless and void, and then darkness. So actually, it looked more like this. Okay, you guys with me? Shirley's like, terrible joke. I'm a dad. All right. It would look something more like this. You guys following me? And then there's this interesting phrase. Oh, I wasn't. Oop. All right, that's, that's where I'm going. Intimate readiness. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, what does that mean and why is it there? Now, I can't give you definitive answers for that. We know that the Spirit of God was there hovering on the face of these, these waters, okay? So on the one hand, it's kind of interesting. In having the same space, you have this darkness, but then you also have the Spirit of God. Now, why am I calling it intimate and why am I calling it readiness? So intimate in the sense of you could view Genesis 1, especially as you go forward, as kind of this distant God shouting out commands to a distant galaxy and things happening. But this prevents you from doing that. 
The Spirit of God was, was literally hovering. So the word there for hovering is used in a couple places of an eagle fluttering over its, its nest and its little chicks, okay? So there is this, this sense of like he was right there. And I kind of have this picture in my mind of a, of a craftsman. Again, at this point, uh, let's just say God's a craftsman, works with wood, okay? Kind of fits the, you know, Jesus as a carpenter idea, right? Okay, so uh, he has, again, this is like a little parenthetical statement describing the state of his workbench at this point. He has a, a raw block of wood in front of him. And, uh, again, it's not wood. It's, you follow me on the, on the analogy here. And he approaches it, and it says, the Spirit of God was hovering over that. And so, I, and so here you have to just give me a little bit of breadth of imagination. But I, I'm picturing, well, okay, in the text itself, there's, it, it causes a pause before, boom, 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 let there be, let there be, let there be, right? And it's just this pause of the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He was ready, and he was intimate with it. He was there. He wasn't distant. We know from Ephesians, one of my favorite books, that before the foundation of the world, believers were chosen. Is read that verse before? Before the foundation of the world, those who would believe were chosen by God. He had them in mind. Before Verse 1, he had you in mind, which means at this moment, as the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters, he knows exactly what he's about to do. He knows exactly where this is headed. He knows that Adam and Eve are going to fall. He knows that Israel is going to reject him time and time again. He knows that he's going to send his son to be rejected and killed. He knows what it's going to cost him. And he knows and sees you at this moment before the foundation of the world that you would be holy and blameless before him. That's amazing. I want you to just think of, again, purpose. God had incredible purpose in what he was doing with creation. And we can see that not only in, in this and in, in, in the fact that we know he was ready for what he was about to do and the fact that he was so powerful he, he caused everything to even start, uh, but we have even more than that. So we're going to finish with, with one more uh, thought regarding, regarding purpose. So on the, one, on the one hand, I would describe that verse 2 as kind of this preparation, right? All right, now we're going to go rapid fire through the rest of chapter 1. <laughs> now, I think I'm going to come back because uh, I can't help it. Um, but we're going we're to do this. Okay, I need to divide the room into six, perfect, six quadrants. Okay, quadrant one, you guys over there, all right? You guys have day one, all right? Quadrant two is going to be up to the third row, you y'all, and forward, okay? Three behind there, okay? So day one, day two, day three. First three rows, day four, day five, including y'all in the back. Even though you're on AVL, you still have to be involved. And day six, David, choose your team. I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're just out on your own over there. Here's what I want you to do. This is actually going to be like a minute, but I want you guys to look at your Bible. I want you simply to tell me what happens in your day, okay? So 
One, two, three, four, five, six. We're just going to outline what happens next in a very broad stroke fashion, all right? You have one minute. You can talk to those around you if you feel like it um, and try to summarize it. All right, how are we doing? You guys have answers? I realized it doesn't say, okay, and then the fourth day this happens. It says, da 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 That was the fourth day. So you guys got to, to do some deduction. All right, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. We'll see if any of you all uh, have any good answers. <laughs> all right, day one. I want, I want everyone coming back. Come, come back. Come back. You guys can read it on your own afterward if you guys feel like it and argue about what actually happened on your, on your given day. All right, day one over there. What do you guys got? Perfect. Yep. Yeah, light. That's a uh, light bulb. And day and night. That's excellent. That's what I was looking for. All right. You guys get an A. Congratulations. What? What's a dark bulb? <laughs> no. All right, day two. Day two. What do you guys got? Yes. Okay, so I don't think that, wait, are you guys on day two? So I don't think the dry land has appeared yet. <laughs> so, it's, okay, you guys were like in heavy discussion on what the heck was going on in, in this, this day. So I'll just summarize it this way, okay? God separated a mass of water and he created two domains, okay? He primarily created heaven above and I think we can call it oceans beneath, okay? So we, and we, in between, you have an expanse. I think we can understand it to be the atmosphere. In between, okay? So there's the waters above and the waters beneath, all right? So heaven and oceans. And, he, and then he names heaven, and there's evening and there's morning. All right, day three. Sweet, okay. 
So, uh, cool. So we got land and vegetation. So he brings, and again, I, then this is kind of more evidence that when, you, when you're in verse 2, you should be picturing just ocean covering the entire globe, assuming that the globe exists at this point. All right? Ver, uh, yeah, day four, you guys. Okay, we got sun and the moon. Okay, great. Pretty straightforward. And the stars, right? How could you leave that out? All right, that was day four. You guys following me along? So we got day and night in uh, one. Two is uh, heaven and the oceans. Three, vegetation. Four, sun and moon. Five, what do you guys got? Fish and birds. All right. Oh. <laughs> what? You know, I actually thought I was going to be an artist at one point. Okay, here's a fish, and we've got some birds. Yeah, we're not going to try too hard on that. <laughs> I'm always afraid I'm going to draw something that looks like really terrible, like something else. All right, verse, all right so, chat, so day six, what's day six? Yeah, everything that, all the creepy crawlies and uh, people as it turns out, right? So people. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. Okay. We're wasting time on, on Paul's drawings. There's a pattern I want you to see. Okay? Uh, to make a simple point, one, actually, this is just a helpful pattern to memorize the days if you're interested in doing so. Um, but it's also a pattern that I think shows and just displays the premeditated purpose of God, the fact that he didn't just do this willy-nilly, he didn't just do it flying by the seat of his pants, he didn't just do it out of nowhere, out of nothing, <laughs> it's a funny phrase, um, but he did it with forethought, and he, he thought this through ahead of time. Okay, can anyone point out the pattern who hasn't seen it before? Let's just say that. Opposites. Okay, what do you mean? Kind of. Well, that's definitely there, for sure. Separation is huge. Um, let me be more specific, because there's a lot of things you guys can see. There's probably more patterns that I don't even, even know about. So, something like this. Okay, what defines each thing? I like, we're on, we're on the right track. Did you guys hear that? I think you nailed it on the head. Okay. I think we can, we can say it like this, okay? This row is spaces, all right, or realms maybe, and then this is, is basically filling those spaces or realms. You guys follow me? So yeah, he creates light without the sun, which by the way is totally possible. We know that from Revelation, we're not going to need a sun. The Lord himself will be the light. I don't think, so some people will point to that as a major problem uh, and say, look, it's not chrono chronological, but frankly, that's not a problem at all for, for God. He just created everything out of nothing. He can create light without a light source. 
So we have day and night, which is just simply light and darkness. And then he establishes the sun and the moon and says, you will rule over the day and over the night. Okay? And then we have heaven and ocean, okay? And we see birds filling the heavens and fish filling those waters, okay? And then you see land and vegetation, and you see these creatures made, us included, to walk on the land and to eat the vegetation, okay? So there is just this, the main point I want to make with this is, A, it, this helps with remembering it, but B, there is a, a guided purpose behind each one of these things. And for me, that was really helpful because I, I read this and it's kinda, it kind of seemed random and confusing. But when you see it like this, it helps me at least say, oh, there's like, there's very specific purpose behind each day and what he's doing. And moreover, what we're going to talk about next week is how really it does build to the creation of mankind. And we really can say that the creation of mankind, men and women, is the culmination of God's creation. And so, no, animals are not people too, right? Uh, there is a, a marked difference. Now, there's a lot of similarity, but there is a marked, distinct difference. And I'm so excited. We're going to get into that. Hopefully, we'll go over a little bit of this again next week, uh, but then get into that. So, This marks what God does, obviously. But I'm saying he does it today as well. He, he specifically prepared spaces, and then he put specific things in those places. And he does it with purpose, okay? So bring this into our lives. God does everything with purpose. And I want to make a statement here, a strong statement, so I made a slide for it, and it's this. Unparalleled power plus premeditated purpose equals a sovereign God. If you're familiar with, the, with that term, a sovereign God means a God who is in absolute control. And we look around at our world, at the sin and the brokenness, and we're, it's easy for us to say, this world is out of control. And even if you were here this morning, Pastor Dave was talking about the anxiety that can come from thinking that we need to be in control of our lives and forgetting that ultimately God is the one who cares for us. But it comes back to this and this idea that God is able to take care of you. God is able to guide your life. And more than that, he's guiding absolutely everything on this world toward a specific purposed end. When we are anxious, when we're fearful, it's a sign that in some sense we have canceled out either the power or the purpose of God, or I would add one more to this, and that's the goodness of God. We need to believe that he's good, but he shows us that at every step throughout the biblical story. And so I would just, with one last thing, when it comes to, to God's purpose for your life specifically, we look at Genesis to find a pattern to, to follow. And we can take that also and say, look, God actually does have purpose for each of our lives, and, there, and there's two ways to, to approach it. On the one hand, we can fight against it. We can reject it. And more than that, it's really tempting for each of us to make our own way, to 
decide upon a plan and a purpose for our lives. So many of you, I know, are trying to figure out what to do with your life, but in many ways you think, okay, I've just got to figure out what my plan is for my life. And then if something goes wrong in that, that's a cause of anxiety and fear. The question we, each of us needs to be asking is, okay, am I yielding myself to the power and the purpose of God? I picture like a ship that can do one of two things. One, it can fight the wind. It can beat into the wind. In fact, a couple weeks ago, were you guys there when Dr. B was preaching? He was talking about Paul and his fellow travelers aboard a ship. And he said, let's not sail. And they said, let's sail in the book of Acts. And he was, they were driven along, okay? They fought the wind, they fought the wind, they fought the wind. And then at some point, they said, we can't fight it anymore. And they were driven along by it. Now, in that case... That wasn't the best situation. But my point for you is, when we are driven along by the purpose and the power of God, we find actually our calling. We find, our, we find peace. And when we fight against it, we find, well, difficulty, right? I had a friend recently tell me, a really, really close friend, actually. He is about my age, went through seminary, um, wanted to get married, still does, isn't married yet, Okay? And he was talking to me just the other day and saying, you know, I, I wanted to actually go to this, this one country. I thought I wanted to get married. But maybe God has blocked the way for me to get married because he wants me to go to the Middle East and actually give my life over there. And if I die, and he was like, look, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but like, if I die, then I'm not losing anything there. And, and the Lord was just guiding and he is guiding his life. Now, he's not like he's committed to doing that at this point, but he's, he's saying, you know what? Maybe the Lord, maybe I'm, I'm fighting for one thing, and the Lord is actually redirecting me, and I need to let go of that original plan and allow the Lord to direct me wherever he wants me to go. And some of you are going to encounter that. Some of you think, I'm going to do this major, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to, I'm going to do my very best to, to follow that path. And then at some point, you're going to hit roadblocks. And what you should ask yourself is, okay, Am I totally yielding to the power and the purpose of God for my life? Because that is not just a thing, by the way, if you're going to be a pastor or a missionary, that's for every single person who is a believer. You yield to the power and the purpose of God. That's your calling. And when we do that, we find just incredible peace, knowing that we are walking in the will of God. So I would encourage you, to evaluate your life and say, is there anywhere that I'm perhaps fighting the will of God? Perhaps I'm being disobedient and I know what I need to do. If we go along with the will of God, there's peace. And he blesses it. All right. Let's pray. I'm about to band up. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. I pray um, that it, it hits us as it hit Job. And he said, I I repent. Uh, and I see that I'm nothing. Um, Lord, would that be the, the effect of your word? And then in that yielded spirit, Lord, would you guide us and direct us into how we construct our lives? And ultimately, Lord, you're the one who not only made the universe, but you're the one who constructs our lives too. So we pray that you would do that for your honor and glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can go ahead and stand.